Welcome to the Shift Spotlight Podcast. I'm Winter, your host and co-founder of The Shift Spot. We are business transformational experts that help business owners and CEOs shift from working in the business to working on the business. My partner, Ken Paskins, and I specialize in helping visionaries achieve breakout results and scale with ease. We say here at the Shift Spot, shift happens, and we believe our knowledge, skill set, and support will help you design your business to give you the freedom and balance you deserve. Also, the Shift Spotlight is always looking for podcast guests, so go to theshiftspot.com and click on podcast. We'd love to have you. It's winter with the Shift Spotlight, and today we are here with John McLaughlin. He's the owner of Lockers Unlimited and can be found at lockers-unlimited.com. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you, Winter. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a fan of the show. I've learned a lot from you and Ken, so it's a big night for me to be on your show. So wonderful to hear. Um, yeah. and that's great. That makes me like just made my day today. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, let's start with a little bit of fun. Um, what is one interesting fact about you that people may not know? It's something you wouldn't know because I don't talk about it. But when I started this business, uh, I was with my father and it was really my first job out of college. And we ran it together for a few years. We ran into some real roadblocks. We made some major mistakes. We redid it. So since 1992, every paycheck that I've ever gotten, I've signed both sides of it. Oh, wow. That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. It's so unusual. You- are the ultimate example of the owner that learned on the job. I did. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't want to do it. To be honest with you, my dad worked for a company for 25 years, started out in the factory, worked his way up to national sales manager. And then he got in his fifties and they let him and all his buddies go. The guys that had built the company. Right. And he said, I'll never, never put myself in that position. I will work for myself from this day forward. Started his own company in the dining room. And uh, we had nothing, you know, we had a filing cabinet and a phone and I'm getting out of my undergraduate school. And he said, why don't you come work for me? And I said, oh, no, this is crazy. I'm not going to go work in the dining room with no assets. This, I'm going to waste a lot of time on this company. And, and you know what the failure rate of small businesses are? This would be a crazy thing for me to do. Right. But at the same time, I knew I could learn from him. So I said, here's what I'll do. I'll give you two years to learn what I can from you. And then I'm going to go someplace safe. <laughs> and... He let me get away with saying that, even though he'd been through yeah. what he'd been through. Right. And of course, you you learn that the safest place you can be is putting your fate in your own hands. That's right. Right. And I was lucky enough to learn that early, you know, where I didn't have to go through the 25 years of working for somebody else to get there. I, I got there because uh, he gave me the opportunity. So I was extremely lucky. I'd have never done it on my own. Um, but it's been an obvious life changing event. That's awesome. I, I love that. I love that story. I love the father-son aspect. Um, all of it is great. So why don't you tell our listeners at a high level what it is you do? Okay. Um, we started out as uh, really, my dad was a rep for a company that makes metal lockers, shelving, pallet rack. And for years, we tried to sell the whole product line. And what we learned over time was the the where people need the sales specialty was in the locker edge of it. So we sell basically metal lockers, same metal box they've made for over a hundred years. Um, but there's ways to bring value to that sale. Improved in any way. You're telling me the metal box is the same, the same that it was in high school. Pretty much. I mean, they've made some, a few improvements, but I can actually hold a side up to a locker that was made in 1970 and the holes are the same as they are made today. So there hasn't been a lot of innovation. 
curious. <laughs> Pardon? What are the function of the holes in the same spot? Oh, uh, to, to, to assemble it. it. The lockers come in flat pieces. You have to put a hundred nuts and bolts in them like you did a hundred years ago. So it's a thing that nobody wants to do. And so there's value there for us to provide that service because most people would say this is going to take too long, you know? So that's one of the reasons why we found value in there and we found a way to deliver it. And um, well, you couldn't do that with other product lines. So that's how we became after trials and tribulation, uh, Lockers Unlimited. So then you're telling me AI has not perfected a way to put together lockers yet. Not yet. And I keep waiting. And you would think there would be a much better way to build that box. And, and they've tried and tried and tried, but it's, I mean, seriously, a, a metal locker holds, has about 80 nuts and bolts and there's no fast way to put them in. You put them in by hand and you tighten them with a drill and it doesn't matter how fast you are. It takes a long time. Wow. So nobody wants to do it, but you know, that's where you want to be, right? This is the place you want to be is to provide a you service. You've got a yep. problem to solve. So yep. Hundred well, percent, and it's a big one. We are definitely going to talk about some of the mistakes you've made along the way, and it sounds like you've you and your dad kind of did several of those. But before we like dive into the mistake side of it, let's talk about something that you did right and that you're proud of. Okay, that's a great question. Um, the one thing I did right that I maybe didn't know I was doing right at the time, anybody that I brought in to work for me, be it an employee or even a contractor, I treated them a little better than they thought they deserved. I paid them a little more than I think they thought they were worth. And I did small favors along the way to build the relationship. And if I did that just because that's how I am as a person. But what I learned from that is you can reduce turnover and you right. can build lo loyalty. Yeah. And, and how many times have I seen somebody who tr trained somebody, brought them in, trained them how to run their business. And then all of a sudden they leave, they take some customers with them. You see it all the time. Okay. And it's a, it's a blow to the heart. You've lost your, probably your best customer or employee. Now you've lost customers and it's all because they didn't think they were getting what they deserve. Right. So, so by paying just a little bit more, it doesn't have to be a lot more or by taking a special interest in this person and making them feel like a valid part of the organization, mm -hmm. it pays huge, huge dividends. Right. Um, and I, I was fortunate to learn that and, and not make that mistake. Right. Right. That's, that's a great yeah. one. Um, how yeah. many employees do you have? Uh, I think we have eight right now. It's not a lot of people, um, but we've been the number one dealer in our space for the last two years uh, for the company we mostly rep. And our, in our sales, when you started from the kitchen table, you know, we're doing sales of around $5 million a year, which is pretty good for a company that size. You know, yeah. that's about where I want to leave it. I don't really want to get any bigger. I'm real happy with that. Um, right. And like I say, everybody who's there does well. You know, everybody's right. treated well. So we don't need a lot of people. We just need good people. Do you have anybody that manages others, like a leadership team of some sort? Or do you handle all of that directly? No, I work three days a week and I don't even work that hard while I'm there. So there I've go. been, eight, there's another lesson that was really, really hard for me to delegate. It took me decades to to be honest with you when you've built something with your own bare hands and you you've, you've got to turn it over it's like a kid you send them off to college and you don't know what they're going to do now you can't watch them anymore and it took me a long time to get there but i've got people that basically make all the decisions for me if they need me i'm there but i retired and then came back and i said okay i'll work three days a week but it's not going to be like it was you know right. and and that has been extremely rewarding because now you're investing in other people and you're seeing their growth you're giving right. them free free reign um, and to me, that's more rewarding than anything I've done, honestly. 
So you are the CEO that has uh, achieved the ultimate dream, which is you're kind of out of the day-to-day operations yep. and you're having other boots on the ground kind of work in the business and you can just work on the business. So what strategies did you use to build a strong and effective team that support the day-to-day operations without your involvement in every faucet of it? I, really, at the end of the day, it boils down to trust. Um, mm-hmm. You've got Got to find the people that can do what you want them to do. It's it, You don't want to put anybody out of their area of specialty. Uh, and you want to give them the best training that you can. And I think the best thing you can do is set the culture for this organization and lead by example. And when I do come in and work three days a week or whatever it is, I'm in the back sweeping with the guys that are building lockers and I'm taking out the trash. And they see the owner who doesn't have to be here pitching in. And it develops a mindset of a culture of, hey, we're all in this together. Nobody's any better than anybody else. Where at the end of the day, we're all trying to solve the customer's problem. We're trying to make the customer happy. And that's our focus. And that's just in building culture. Um, and so that's finding the right people, putting them in place, and letting them letting them make some mistakes. Yeah. You know, don't lord over them and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. I've let them go right down the road that I knew was going to end poorly, but they had to go there. I mean, that's how you learn. And, and it's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And you've got to cut it the straps and say, well, he's either going to learn from this or he's not, but I'm going to let him do it. You know, and it's hard to do that. Believe me, it was probably the hardest thing of, of the whole business thing was the delegation part. I'm a terrible, terrible delegator. Um, most most owners are. When it's your thing that you built and you're just ready to turn it over. Oh, my. Yeah. It's frightening. But you get when you know you got the right people in place, it's it's doable. Um, but, yeah, when I go to work now, I want to be there. It's not like, you know, I used to be where I felt like I had to be there. So, yeah, this is about as good as it gets, I think, for me. Um and so obviously you had some sort of like training or programs in place to help build up your employees, your leadership teams. What what did those look like? Well, it's mostly learning on the job. Um, you know, when you want to teach somebody, I think the best way to teach what you want them to do is do it yourself and set the example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's how the customers are treated. Here, when when you answer the phone, you're excited to be there. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're having a bad day, the customer will never know that. You know, I've sent people home who were coming across to the customer, I thought, gruffly, and told them, you can't talk to my customers. I'm not going to let you do it. Uh, right. It's That's the cardinal rule here. I'll put up with a lot, but not that. Uh, we Everything we do is focused on the customer experience. Um, so it's not like a formal training manual. It's more, here's how I do it. Now, you can have your own spin on it, but the principles stay in place, whereas we're, we're going to deliver the highest value to the customer. When they call, we're excited that they call. Now, we're right. selling metal lockers. There's nothing sexy about it, but... If you're calling me as a customer, I'm glad you called. And I'm going to make sure you know that, you know, you're going to hear that in my tone of my voice right. uh, and, and how quickly I respond to what it is you asked me to do. You know, right. you're, you're top priority. So it's something that you, I think you learn best by seeing rather than I just tell you, here's how we do it. No, watch me and I'll show you how we do it. Cause I learned it from a master. My dad was a great, great salesman. So I got to see him in action. Now they got to see me in action. Now the guy that I've trained, the new guys come in and watch him in action. So it's the same you know, process, but it's mostly learned by example. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you scaled your business. I mean, 5 million, that's, that's, that's a lot of revenue. Only 9% of businesses, that's one out of 20 businesses ever exceed or hit a million in revenue. So, you know, that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. Um, 90, 91% of businesses can't do that. So as you've scaled your business to that amount, what challenges have taken you by surprise and how have you handled them? 
Oh, great question again. Well, let me say this. Um, I never, ever focused on sales. It meant nothing to me. We study gross profit. We're a sales agency. So we look at what we sold it for, what it cost us, and we look at the gross profit every month. And that's what people get paid for. Sales are irrelevant. I'm looking at profit margin. That's, mm -hmm. that's the magic number to me. I don't care if we do 1 million, 10 million. I want this profit margin to be comfortable. And that's really since day one. My dad told me that, that you know, we focus on profit. Sales can be misleading. I could yeah. go, I could take this company to 10 million pretty easy. We're in construction. I just got to be the low bidder, but I'm going to have $5 million worth of really cheap business. that's going to destroy my resources and then take out the good customers that I have. So caveat on sales is, shouldn't be your main focus. In my opinion, it should be how much money am I making on each sale? Cause that'll lead you to where your, where your profitability is. Um, right. So we were asking some of the things we did, right. And what are, what are the challenges as you've scaled to that, the challenges? that $5, million, $5 million mark? It's, it's people, I think more than anything. Um, we had a lot of breaks along the way. I think anybody that tells you, Oh, I did this because I'm really great at what I did. Maybe, but I can promise you there were some hurdles and challenges. I mean, I can name more than one time when I called in a business broker and said, I'm ready to sell this company. There's no future here. We're we're going to fail. I mean, I could just, I couldn't see any future. And I luckily surrounded myself with people that convinced me that I could gut it out and survive it. And I did. And it wasn't because I'm a great tough guy. It's because I had people advise me. It's not as bad as you're making it. Um, so an early challenge is we didn't put any priority on bookkeeping when we mm. first started. We, yeah. we were busy with the sales and we're trying to get customers and we were like, ah, you know, let's just worry about bookkeeping later. And it came back to haunt us because we made up all the numbers on one of our tax returns. And of course we were audited. So when the numbers don't add up to what you put in the bank, yep. they got a lot of questions. Yep. And all I could tell them was, look, we, we screwed up and please we'll put, take this company out and we'll, we'll, we'll dissolve this company and we're going to start over and we'll do it right. Yeah. And, you know, from that day forward, get the accounting right. Every dollar is accounted for because I saw the downside of that. Right. Um, so, Nobody likes it when the IRS comes knocking at their door. Well, especially if you're standing there with no defense and saying, look, I hate to tell you this, but the reason the numbers don't add up is because we made them all up. <laughs> that's a bad place to be. Um, the other thing I think that's been good, everybody right down to the guy, first guy we hire who's building lockers, he is rewarded on the profitability of the company. If we have a good month, he feels it in his paycheck so that he knows the reason he's there is to make the company money. Yep. Right? It's not so much his paycheck. It's not so much that, but he will know too, when there's a customer that has a problem and he sees it in the field, treating this customer right is going to make his check bigger. Yep. And you need to have, I mean, I, all the way down the line, I think everyone should be rewarded for what you want them to do or, or why would they do it? You know? Right. So, so that's been very successful. Okay. And so do you have any industry specific challenges or something that's specifically impacting your industry or company, either positively or negatively that, you know, is relevant to talk about? Absolutely. When I started this in the 1990s, early 1990s, I thought, well, this is a great business to be in because how could you ever import a metal box from China across the seas? It would cost too much. Nobody will ever do it. And 50, of course, 15 years later, it's all imported. I mean, even the companies that say they're made in America, not much of it is made in America anymore. Right. Which which means that anybody can jump into my space as a manufacturer because they're really not a manufacturer. They're just importing parts now. Mm -hmm. So you don't need the big heavy machines. You don't need the big warehouse space. You know, everybody can get in on the, the ground floor of importing and become a, a threat that pops 
pops up overnight. And I've seen it time and time and time again, the, the, where they make their mistake typically is they want to be the cheapest guy. Yeah. You know, and they think we'll take the market over by being the lowest price, which is not a good strategy in construction at all. I mean, you'll be the lowest price and you'll get a lot of cheap business, but you won't make enough money to survive. Right. So, so importing is, is huge. Um, I've been lucky that I haven't had anybody leave my company and compete with me because I think that would be probably the greatest hurdle of all. Um, but you know, maintaining a, a customer base, you know, we, we're the middleman in a, in a industry that has a lot of problems, you know, things ship late, things ship damaged, things don't get where they're supposed to go. Things are missing. We're, we're, we're problem solving all day long. I mean, it's basically what we're doing, which yeah. makes you tired at the end of the day. And not a lot of people want to do it, but that's the reason I think that you can make money doing it is because it's not a, it's not a cushy job at all, you know? Right. Um, and, and you're only one big problem away from losing a good customer. And that's true, I think, in any business, or at least yeah. if you don't handle it well, so. Yeah. So curious, where do you see yourself investing resources for the next year? I know you don't want to grow much bigger, but I'm sure you still have to stay on top of things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got guys there that want to go, because we went from 3 million to 5 million pretty quick, and we did it again. And now they want to go to 10 million. And I'm like, man, I mean, that is a leap there. Not saying we can't do it. I just don't know that we're, we're, we're set up to do it. You know, we'd, we'd be a whole different company, I think at that point. And, and it's changed so much um, already that I'm not sure I could, could see it happening, but it could happen in, in somebody else's hands. I got it where I wanted it to be. And then it grew from there. So me personally, I'll be getting out of the way probably within a year or two and letting them run it. Um, I might even, you know, sell it and, and just get out of it completely. Um, but where it goes from here is, is largely not going to be decided by me. You know, yeah. I feel like, feel like I've done what I came to do and I couldn't be happier with where it is, but I, I don't have the the fire to go out and go to 10 million. That just doesn't interest me. Yep. That's Hey, we, you got to meet people where they're at, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. I'm happy here. This is a good, good spot. Yeah. Better than I ever thought it could be. So, <laughs> you know, but I don't want to hold the people back either that think they've, they've visualized this happening. I mean, if they're, if they're on board with it, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so um, what is one book or resource that you would recommend to another CEO? Oh, there's so many. Um, a good resource is is your podcast, for one thing. I, I stay informed with business podcasts like yours. I listen to them driving. I listen to them, you know, before I go to bed at night. And I would stay on top of I think the podcasting is much more current than than some books. Although I've read some some great business books, the books I like are all about selling and the subliminal side of selling. Yeah, you know why too. does the love oh gosh love that stuff? Why does the customer buy? Why does he make that buying decision? Because it ninety percent of it is in the back of his mind. He can't tell you why. Yeah, you know it's little signals that you send out. You're in real estate, and you you've I'm sure you know. Uh, there's the customer that you're sure is going to buy from you. 100% sure you've got this deal inked. He doesn't yeah. buy from you. And then the wild card that comes in out of nowhere that looks like really loosey goosey, that's the one that comes in. And you try to, I spent years and decades trying to quantify this, you know, what what made him buy, what made him not buy. It's impossible, but it's fun to try. So I like the neuromarketing aspect yeah, of, if I'm going to read a book, it's going to be about neuromarketing. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you talk to us about Lifeline to a Soul? What is that about? I know it's completely off topic, but we're we're about done here. So let's talk about it. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that very much, Winter. Um, so I get to the point where I, I, I got in my business. And if you work for yourself, 
if you're not careful, you can fall behind in the ways of new technology. And I did that in the late nineties. Um, I didn't know what an Excel spreadsheet was. I didn't know how to send an attachment to an email. I was falling further and further behind because I was a small company and it was just me in there. There was nobody to keep me current. And I've realized I'm losing it here. So I went back to school and I got an MBA. It took me five years going at night. And wow. I learned, yeah, I learned so much though. And it was great. It brought me, got me up to speed. I was current again. And it was the best time and money I ever spent investing in myself. It got me to the next level, got the business to the next level. But through the process, somebody told me, did you know with this, you can teach business courses at a community college? I said, oh, that'd be great. That's what I'm going to do. You know, and, and I tried and tried and tried to get into teaching at a community college. Nobody would hire the 50-year-old guy with no experience. They wouldn't even interview me. And one day I saw this ad to teach in a minimum security prison. And I was like, last place I want to be. But I'm 52 now and nobody's offered me a job. So I'll go interview for this prison job. And I went in there and they gave me the job. And they said, I said, what do I got to work with? They said, nothing. You just create your own courses, 99 hours a week. But you do it any way you want to do it. We don't really care. Okay, so I've got to build a class up and I'm dealing with guys who've made a mistake, obviously. And some of them just had a bad night and made a really bad mistake. But and a lot of them ran illegal businesses. They had business sense, but they'd never been directed in how it went. Channeled so, the right way. you know, exactly. It's been channeled that right way. But, right. A lot of these guys think, well, I can make money fast. This is going to happen overnight. On and on and on. I met some great people. I made some some really good friends. I've got guys from the prison working for me now in my business uh, who've done extremely well. And I realized that this is a demographic that we've, as a society, have largely given up on. Yeah. Uh, you, you see a guy with a felony on his record, and you're like, oh, he's trouble. He's bad. I don't want anything to do with him. But you put yourself in their place. We've all made mistakes. And should we pay the rest of our life for it? I mean, there's some people that are happy in prison. They don't want to leave, and that's fine. But there's some people that don't want to come back. And, and there's no better investment that I found than in educating them a little bit about business and financial literacy, because if they get out and they have a felony, they're going to be limited. But if they get out and start their own business, sky's the limit that, that nobody asks about your record. Yep. So I did it. Uh, job lasted three years and then COVID hit. And I did every home improvement project that I was planning to do when I retired. And I still had more time. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I had told my dad's wife when I lost the job, I said, well, no more prison stories. Sorry, I'm out. And she said, why don't you write a book about it? Mm -hmm. And there I was with COVID with all this time. And I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I didn't ever want to teach in prison. I didn't ever plan on writing a book. But if anybody's interested in the book, um, if you want to go to our website, I will send you for free an autographed copy. If you mention uh, the shift spotlight, uh, it's www.lockers. I'm sorry, www.lifelinetoasoul.com. Okay, so that's www.lifelinetoasoul.com. I always say that to Ken. I'm like, just say the website, lifelinetoasoul.com. We, we don't have to say the right. www. <laughs> that's, that's the mouthful. But we but do. We still I would love to send anybody who's interested. That's how I know we're old is when you say www. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like everybody's like, of course it's www. <laughs> right. Uh, what can you do? I mean, you're comfortable where you're at. Yeah. <laughs> what you learned. So. Yep. Well, this has truly, truly been a pleasure. Is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with um, that you think may help along their own CEO and owner journey? Yep. I will say that if you've started a business and you're, 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 you're working this out, you've got my utmost respect because you've taken a road that's less traveled. It's a very difficult road. Take it from me. I wanted to quit numerous times because it was too much for me. It was too difficult. The failure rate's astronomical. 
but what I've learned is the people that make it are not the smartest people in the room. Um, they're not the most schooled people in the room. They're not the best salespeople in the room. The, the people that make it are the people that refuse to quit, yep. who are going to get there by any means necessary. And mm -hmm. they, if they don't, if you don't quit, you will get where you want to be. Uh, take yeah. it from me. There was many times that I would have quit. And I look back and think, how different would my life be now had I quit, had I let myself quit? Yeah. So my number one characteristic of a successful person, especially in small business, is determination. You've got to just want it bad enough to say, if this doesn't work, I'll try something else. If, if this yeah. business fails for the third time, well, I'm going to start a fourth business until I get it right. And then those people always seem to make it. Yep. Yeah, 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 it's true. It's true. Yeah, I've it, seen it, takes it a lot times. of great resolve to, uh, to do what Amen. we do. We, we appreciate having people like you on our show to help, you know, the experienced as well as the ones who are trying to grow and, and not make some of the same mistakes that we made along the way. So we do, yeah. we appreciate it having you here today, John. Thank you. And it's totally my pleasure and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Shift Spotlight podcast. If you are a service-based business owner, CEO, founder, or co-founder with under 10 years of experience, and you are in the trenches of growing your idea or business and want to bring your inspiring story of change, challenge, and success, all while promoting your business and gaining exposure with a remarkable and influential network, we are actively searching for podcast guests who can share their journey please visit theshiftspot.com forward slash podcast to apply today. And if you are a listener, I'd love to give a shout out to your business, to our entire audience for free. All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow our newsletter by going to LinkedIn and searching The Shift Spot. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean the world to me and my team. We believe every person has a message that can positively impact the world, and we love our community who listens and shares our program. Together, we are empowering one another as shift leaders. Hit subscribe to be inspired and motivated. I promise to bring positivity and inspiration to you and your growing business. We will see you next time.